if you've got a great property manager, they're worth their weight in gold, or maybe gold's not that great. They're worth their weight in real estate. Nah, they're worth their weight in income property. Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible, and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I'd check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, best ever listeners. How's it going? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. And this is part of a new series that we're doing called Situation Saturday. It's not like the other days of the week where we are going through the best advice ever from our best ever guest. Um, but we are doing a specific situation that you might find yourself in in real estate investing and talking with our best ever guest about how he or she would handle it. And in this case, it's a he, Jason Hartman. Jason has been involved in thousands of transactions. And in fact, he's been a guest on the show before. He was on episode 38 way long ago, whenever I was first getting started. And if you go back and listen to Jason's episode 38, his advice is spot on, but the production of the show is weak sauce. So please don't judge me for that. I was just trying to get things started on a, on a podcast and entering into the podcast world. But definitely, I encourage you to go check out his episode. Jason's owned income properties in 11 states. He's the host of the Creating Wealth Show. You can go check out his info and his podcast at his name, jasonhartman.com. He's got Actually, do you still have 20 different podcasts, 20 different shows? 20 different shows, and uh, this is a guesstimate, but about somewhere in the neighborhood of probably 3,000 episodes, I believe. Yeah, so he's he's done this a couple times before. <laughs> he started out as a broker, and the last time we talked, you had recently become 
involved in a real estate development. So really quickly, I'd love to hear more about that. And then the last thing I'll say before you talk about that, he's a self-made multimillionaire, entrepreneur, investor, lender, and as I mentioned, developer. So do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit about your background and then we'll get into the situation? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. And thanks for having me on again. Uh, I am honored to be your first returning guest, I believe, right? Is that true? I think you're the second because the Situation ah. Saturday, the, you, this is the second Situation Saturday episode. And I, I have a rule where I, I don't have returning guests on the regular format, but the best of the best ever guests who want to talk about a situation, then they can return. See, folks, Nobody ever remembers number two, right? (laughs) Remember the Austin Powers movie, who does number two work for? (laughs) Yeah, good. Well, yeah, it's great to be back, Joe. And thanks for having me on. You do a great show and a great service for people. So it's uh, it's awesome to talk to you again. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, you mentioned in the intro my old episode number 38 with you. And, uh, you know, don't judge you by the audio quality. But I think it's really important you know, you're keeping the main thing, the main thing. I'm not a stickler for, you know, super mega audio quality. I see some of these podcasters, you know, they got all this equipment and, you know, all this complexity, just have good guests, give good advice and do great interviews and put out good information for people. You know, I think that's really the main thing. And, you know, the late, great Stephen Covey, that was his saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's good advice for investors too, right? Yep, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is uh, I've been in real estate ever since I was 19 years old. I started in my first year of college as a real estate agent for Century 21 and really started because I wanted to be an investor and I wanted to just kind of learn the business. And over the years, after buying my first income property at age 20, a little property in Huntington Beach, California, I've been buying a lot of property and I've I've done very well with my real estate portfolio. There have certainly been bumps in the road and problems and challenges along the way and situations. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the greatest thing. I mean, income property is the most historically proven asset class in the world in my humble opinion. And those humble little single family homes, they do really well, but I've also done a lot of apartments and now I'm doing a mobile home park and so uh, there's there's a lot of ways to make money in this business, a lot of different approaches, and uh, a lot of your different guests give a good variety of that. So it's great. And really quick, what's the update on that development project that you mentioned on the last episode in 38, episode 38? Well, this is what happens to developers. Delay, delay, and delay. And, you know, that's what's happening with us. <laughs> we're, of course, behind schedule. Surprise, surprise. And um, I think we're about seven months behind schedule now. You know, so things are going much slower than expected. I guess they could be worse. They probably have been worse in a lot of things. But, you know, we're getting it together, and I think it'll be good. Fortunately, the market is going the right direction. And a lot of times, by the way, you know, this actually is a good segue to the concept of investor impatience, because my clients get this way a lot of times where, you know, through our referral network where we help people invest nationwide in uh, different markets that we like, you know, sometimes their deals will be really behind and they'll be frustrated. You know, why isn't this deal closing? Why can't the rehab get finished faster? You know, blah, blah, blah. The, The contractor took on too much work and he's got too many deals. 
But a lot of times, Joe, in fact, I'd say the majority of the time, that actually benefits the investor because as the delays are occurring in an upward market, as we've been in for the past several years, I mean, you know, delays are great things. Now, in a downward market, it's another story, right? Yep. But those delays can become actually quite profitable, even though they are frustrating because I think human nature, we all crave finality, right? We we want to just get this thing done and move on to the next thing. But many times those delays are uh, very profitable. So <laughs> we'll, I hope they are for us too. So far, it seems like they will be because the market is going in the right direction. Hopefully it does not turn around, God forbid. But anyway, that's where we are. More to come. All right. Well, we'll get a status update. When I'm the third time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the third time. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back for skill set Sunday. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. Well, here's a situation that we're going to present you with. Uh Uh-oh. You've got $100,000 in the bank and you have a full-time job and you're looking to intellectually, you know, real estate is a good idea. You've heard about it, but you're working a whole lot of hours in your full-time job and you're not sure what to do with $100,000. How do you get started? Yeah. Okay. So, That type of investor needs an armchair type of investment. They don't have a lot of time to pay attention to it. You know, the the typical person in corporate America is probably working 55 hours a week. And if they've got a family and they got other obligations and they want to, you know, try and get some exercise and take up a hobby, you know, by the time you sleep, there's just no time left. Right. So, you know, get some basic education and get involved with a team that you trust and have them help you find good direct investments where you can own and control the property. And, you know, for for $100,000, you can buy four or five single family houses if they're financed and uh, control $500,000 worth of real estate subject to qualifying for financing. And you're on your way. And Joe, I would do that in two different markets in meaning two different cities. So for example, you might buy two of those properties in, you know, Memphis or Atlanta or Indianapolis and buy another two in, you know, another market or another three in another market. And uh, then you've got a little bit of diversification and you have property managers manage them until such time as you may or may not choose to self-manage your properties if you feel confident about that. And I'm going to tell you something odd. I've owned properties in, like you said, 11 states. And I would have never thought, if you asked me 10 years ago, could I own a property 2,000 miles from my home that I've never seen with a tenant in it that I've never met and manage it myself without a manager, I would have said, you're absolutely crazy. But I did that. I fell into it by accident. And, you know, it oddly works pretty well. In some cases, Joe, it's easier than having a property manager. And it performs better economically than having a property manager. And I'd be happy to drill down on that and explain why. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you're able to manage it yourself remotely and the team and the systems that you have in place to do that. Yeah, so this happened, like I said, by default. I did not plan on it. I never thought I could do it. So let me just first give you and your listeners, Joe, a little bit of background as to how it came about, how this happened by accident. You know, a lot of things in life are just sort of dumb luck. We just, 
you know, find ourselves in a circumstance and you think, hey, this worked out pretty well. (laughs) Better to be lucky than good, right? (laughs) Any day of the week. And so I had a a property, well, I still have the same property, actually. I've owned this property in San Antonio, Texas for maybe 10, 11 years now. And I've never seen it, never been there. I bought it remotely through my referral network, which most of our clients do probably 95% of our clients buy properties sight unseen. We love it when they go see them, by the way, just so they have a greater comfort level and, you know, limits liability and so forth. But regardless, I bought this property sight unseen like most of our clients. I had a property manager and he sent out a letter to me and I assume all of his other clients saying he was getting out of the business. And my assistant started talking to a few other property managers in the area and interviewing them. And, you know, I said, hey, Karen, you know, pick a new property manager for me. And so she kind of got to work on that. And like so many things in my company, if you want to make sure they don't get done, you give them to Jason. (laughs) Because I'm too many times the bottleneck. I will freely admit that and confess that I become the bottleneck a lot of times. And that's why, you know, a lot of people in my company do things faster and better than I do. And uh, so, you know, I, she researched it. I didn't do anything about it. It sat on my desk and I just never got around actually hiring the property manager she recommended. So the first of the month rolls around and I get a check in the mail with a nice little note from the tenant. Hi, Jason. I was told to send my rent to you directly because the property manager said he's getting out of the business. So here's my check. And if you need anything, here's my phone number and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the house is great. And, uh, you know, let's talk if, if you need anything. <laughs> so I didn't do anything after that. I just deposited the check. And then, um, you know, the next month, another check comes. And I uh, the tenant's lease was up uh, shortly after that. And I told him that I wanted to increase the rent a little bit. And uh, I was communicating with him by email at that point. You personally were? Me personally, because I didn't have a property manager. Okay, so just me directly on the email with the tenant. And he explained that his uh, car was broken into. And I said, well, why did that happen? First of all, you live in a pretty decent suburb. You know, it's a nice suburban house. It was brand new when I bought it, and you know, in a decent area. And he said, well, you know, that just happens. And, and I, I said, but why aren't you parking in the garage? And he said, well, the garage door opener broke. And I said, oh, well, you didn't tell me about that. And he says, yeah, I didn't want to bother you. And I, I said, well, how about this? You know, I will basically finance a new garage door opener for you. If you'll just agree to a small rent increase plus an additional 20 bucks a month, then let me buy you a garage door opener. And, you know, he says, okay, well, you know, I'll just go get one at, uh, at uh, Home Depot and, you know, I'll, I'll see around about who can install it and so forth. So really, Joe, the tenant was doing all of this stuff. And here's the odd thing. I just want people to think about the property manager, tenant, and owner relationship. It's a triad. It's three parties. There's, first of all, the property manager doesn't usually tell you about anything that's going on with the property or wrong with the property. It's the tenant that tells the manager and the manager that tells the owner, unless the manager can just handle it without telling the owner in many cases. And so the tenant is the person who's there. Obviously, the property manager isn't at the property, except maybe once a year or so. And the tenant 
basically can become your manager. And I know some people thinking, well, I saw the movie Pacific Heights. I've had a terrible tenant. You know, I think that's crazy. You know, the vast majority of the time, listen, I've had hundreds of tenants, okay? I've had mostly good ones. I've had a few bad apples. But the reality is most people in the world are just decent people who just want a reasonable place to live at a reasonable price. And they will end up doing a lot of the handiwork on your house. You know, think about it. If the property manager has to call a contractor to install the garage door opener, you know, repair the garbage disposal or whatever's going on, right? What do they have to do? They have to coordinate this with the tenant. Well, why not just take the middleman out and let the tenant deal with the vendor directly? And then the vendor, you know, if it's over, I have some sort of metrics of, you know, if it's over uh, $200, I, you know, of course need to see a written quote before authorizing the work. And if it's higher than that, I'll need more than one quote, you know, and if it's really high, I'm going to want to get three written quotes before authorizing the job. And your property manager, a lot of times isn't going to even do that much effort. Okay, so really oddly, and we have one client who bought 70 units from us, okay, mostly single family homes and a few plexes, but no big multifamily stuff, just, you know, small, small investor type stuff, but 70 units, 70 doors. And he's got a bunch of his portfolio self-managed and a bunch of it is managed through property managers. And he says that the self-managed properties are easier. They're less effort than managing the manager. Now, I'm not saying this is always true, but I'm, I'm saying let the manager make your decision. If you've got a great property manager, they're worth their weight in gold, or maybe gold's not that great. They're worth their weight in real estate. Nah, they're worth their weight in income property, <laughs> the specific type of real estate we like, okay? Not just real estate, but income producing real estate. And they're great, but if you have a marginal or bad property manager, Get rid of them and consider self-managing your property. It does work. It really does. And I, uh, I teach our investors how to do that. I've talked a lot about it. There's more detail than we have time for here today. But, you know, there's a lot of talk about it on my podcast. I've had clients call in and share their self-management experiences. And I just want to let investors know that is an opportunity. I know it wasn't the original question, so we did get off on a bit of a tangent, but it's it's interesting that you can do that remote from a distance. Yeah, it is interesting, and you're the, the second person I've talked to who does this, and I think is a fascinating model. It's, it's something that I hadn't really come across as far as remotely managing and having the tenant really be on the ground and, and kind of doing the legwork for you and, and getting the quotes and things. I think it, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, you said you've got a client who does 70, has 70 and some are self and some are professionally managed. And sometimes that's uh, quotation marks professionally managed. <laughs> yeah, right. A sarcastic quotation, right? Yeah, I got it. Right. Yeah. And, and then other times it really is. But it'd be interesting to see how that, how this approach scales when you've got bad residents, when you have to re uh, have move outs and move in, move out checklists and, and all that stuff. Yeah, right. And I, I'd be happy to tell you about how I handle the tenant turn, you know, the turnover between tenants on a self-managed property. Not that hard to do at all. How do you do it? 
So I do it with a property management company or a real estate agent who does leases in the area. See, one of the things we've got to remember is that the real estate industry is this giant industry. I mean, it's probably the biggest industry in the world, I would venture to guess. You know, the preamble to the National Association of Realtors is under all is land. Okay. <laughs> and that's definitely true. Under Facebook is land, even though it's cyberspace, there's still land. Okay. And you know, there's this huge network of real estate agents who are all out there hungry for business. My mother is, I mean, she's what I call an extreme do-it-yourselfer. She's in her seventies. She's been in the real estate game for a long time. She's done very well with it. Kind of old school. She's had property managers, but she doesn't like them. She manages all her properties herself. And by the way, it's not that huge a portfolio. She only has maybe, I don't know, 17 units or something like that. But um, she does them all herself at her age, okay? And whenever she has a problem on a long-distance property, she just calls up any real estate agent. And the real estate agent will just run right out there and check and see. Like one time, her tenant went dark on her, didn't pay the rent, didn't answer the phone, didn't answer email. She's like, what's going on? I'm going to start an eviction. And so she just called up a local real estate office and the realtor just went out there, took a couple pictures, you know, and then the tenant happened to come in and out. And my mom's on the phone with her and says, hey, will you hand the phone to the tenant so I can talk to her? And the realtor hands their cell phone to the tenant. My mom talks to the tenant. What's going on here? You know, and I don't know what the story was with the tenant, but, you know, and if she had to eventually evict them or just, you know, have them move or they paid rent or I can't remember, but I'm just telling you, there's this huge infrastructure out there that is more than happy to help you. Okay. So to answer your question specifically on the tenant turn, what do you do? So a property management company will do a one-time lease up of your property for you. Real estate agents, when I was a traditional real estate agent years ago, I did that all the time when I worked for Remax and owned my own company that I eventually sold to Coldwell Banker. We did one-time leases, but we never did property management at all. We usually did brokerage and sales of properties. And they will go, they will meet the existing tenant, get the keys from them, arrange showings, talk to them about everything, arrange their walkthrough upon move out, send you photos, do a walkthrough checklist, take the keys. You'll have to put the utilities in your own name if you're going to have a vacancy. Hopefully you're not going to have a vacancy in between. You just go right from one to the other, ideally, but doesn't always work that way. So then they will do the walkthrough with the new tenant, take pictures. If you, you know, there's any repair work or painting that needs to be done in between, they will help you, you know, they'll refer you to people. You can get your own people, you know, they'll meet them there and coordinate. I mean, there, you know, there's just a lot of help for this stuff out there. You don't Got need it. to have a property manager collecting your monthly rent. I want to share one more benefit of this. Okay. Everybody listening should put their themselves in the shoes of a tenant. Okay. For a moment. And if you rent a place and you're a tenant and you're dealing with a property manager that's called ABC Property Management, to you that feels like some faceless big corporation, right? But if you are a tenant and you're dealing directly with the owner who is a human being, that you have the social pressure of ideally maintaining a good relationship with, now granted that doesn't always work that way, I understand, but most people 
you know, want to be on good terms with their landlord, right? I mean, mostly, <laughs> not all of them. And if you have that pressure versus being with the property management company, you know, if an ant walks in the house and you see an ant on the counter and you have a property management company or some little thing goes wrong, you're just going to fire off an email or call them up and say, hey, fix this, send an exterminator out, right? But if you've got to call Joe Fairless and say, hey, Joe, you know, I saw an ant here, you know, can you send an exterminator? You're going to feel like your pain. You're going to feel like you're high maintenance. And, you know, ideally, you know, the tenant will start to take care of a lot of this stuff themselves. It really is true. We've definitely noticed this pattern with our clients who are self-managing their properties and with my own properties. I mean, I could tell you another story about the next tenant I had on that San Antonio property that, you know, was, he was like doing all the repair work. It was, it was amazing, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely a, an approach to, to look at. I mean, you'll clearly you'll save money I mean, it'll be more profitable. And if you've got the right systems in place and the right tenant, then, and you properly screen, I think screening is another important one, which you, know, you, you should be doing regardless of the management style Absolutely. and approach, then it sounds like a good option. Yep. So I, I want to very quickly kind of wrap this up. I know we kind of got drilled down very Deep we, we went too deep. One specific, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one one well one one specific area of this uh, where you're talking about management, and we only have a couple minutes left, unfortunately. So you mentioned this step by step process, and uh, if you've got a hundred k in the bank, you've got a full time job. You mentioned one, get some some basic education. Two, get involved with the team you trust. Three, have them help you find good uh, investments. You said good direct investments where you can own and control the property. And then four, buy four to five single family homes that you control. Why single family homes versus if you got 100,000 in the bank, why not learn storage units? Why not learn multifamily? Why not learn retail? Why not note investing? Why not those other areas? Okay, good question. Everybody's got their thing. And my thing that I think is the most reliable is that humble single family home. I don't like condos. I like single family homes. Why don't you like condos? Because with condos, you have a whole nother entity you got to deal with called a homeowners association. And that's a whole host of problems. Not to say that single family homes don't sometimes have an association, but they exert a lot less control. And if that association gets sued or they end up suing the builder like they always seem to or whatever it is, then it can be hard to get financing within the condo. It's And you really don't get enough for those HOA dues. They're overpriced. It's just not worth it. I, I don't like condos too much. I mean, I will make an exception to that. And I've certainly owned a lot of condos over the years. If it's a really good deal, okay, then okay. it could sway me. But retail properties, self-storage, I have never owned self-storage, but I have studied it intensely. And I have made many offers on self-storage facilities. I think self-storage is great. I like that asset class quite a bit, although I have not owned it. But uh, self-storage is like running a business, Okay, you've got to fill up your units, you've got to market them, you've got to do internet search, you've got to buy traffic, you've got to run specials, you know, that's a business. And hey, there's a lot of money in it. Self-storage has a really good rent to value ratio. Okay, so I do like it as an asset class. I currently am buying a mobile home and RV park with a restaurant on it. So I like that asset class, but man, it is complicated. There's a lot of moving parts to that. 
And retail, I'm not very fond of because I think so much of that is being driven to the internet. And uh, so retail, complicated tenant improvements, you know, a lot of maintenance, a lot of management, very complex leases, you know, nah, not for me. I, I don't like it. Office properties, I don't like them either. Same thing as retail, except that the office demand is being outsourced to the home with so many people working out of the house. It's being outsourced to the Philippines and to India where those call centers are and and software developers. It's just no longer necessary to get everybody together in in an office at 9 a.m. and tell them they got to work till 6 p.m. And, you know, that's how we're going to make money and have a business. Everybody can be remote nowadays, office space, I don't think it has a great future. And what else do you do? I think apartments are great. I like housing. Notice the theme. Housing, whether it be single-family homes, apartments, or mobile home parks, in that order, I like single-family home number one, apartment number two, mobile home parks number three. It's not necessarily because of the potential profit, but also the profit versus the complexity of the asset class. And I don't know if you asked me about industrial property, which self-storage really is in a way. What about note buying? Oh, I think note buying can be good. Probably not really in very many cases uh, nearly as good as owning the actual physical asset, the real estate. But if you're there, there are many aspects of note buying and I have purchased notes and I am a hard money lender myself. So I do a lot of lending and our clients do lending through our network too. And the lending side is much simpler than buying an existing note. Although buying an existing note, you stand to make a larger profit if you can get a good discount off the face value of the note. But there's a lot of complexity there. You know, was that note originated before or after Dodd-Frank? Who is the borrower on that note? Is it a homeowner or an investor? Where is it located? What's the value of the collateral? What's the payment history? Oh, my God. There is a massive amount of complexity to that. And uh, we all probably know the same gurus in the note business. I've been to their classes and, you know, at many times wanted to get into the note business. Haven't done it in any serious way because it's complex. (laughs) But there's money there for sure, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, there I'm a novice and I've never invested in notes. I've just, I've, I've had some guests on the show talk about note buying and it's even after... I don't know how many guests I've had on the show, maybe about five to 10. It's still a bit of a mystery to me on all the kind of mechanics behind the process. There is a lot to it. It is, it is, it's pretty complex. But you know, what I'd say, the one thing I want to say is whatever you decide to do, and I know one of the great things about your show, Joe, is you put a lot of things out there for your listeners. So they can, it's like a cafeteria. They can say, I like this or I like that. And that's awesome. But whatever you do, really be a specialist, okay? In the good old humble single-family homes, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. So for the investor that you asked about, the situation Saturday, the guy's got $100,000, a corporate job, you know, buy four or five single-family homes and, you know, add to your portfolio over the years as you save up more capital and, you know, you, you'll, you'll do great. All right. Well, thank you, Jason, for sharing your advice, talking about that situation with 100K in the bank and got the full-time job and, and walking us through that process. And is there, where can the best ever listeners hear more from you or learn more about what you got going on? 
thank you. My podcast is called The Creating Wealth Show, and you can find it in all the usual places, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud. Just type my name, Jason Hartman, in the iTunes store, for example, or my website is jasonhartman.com, and that's J-A-S-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Happy investing to you and your listeners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D dot com forward slash best ever.